0: Hi, I'm Sheldon Clare, President of Canada's National Firearms Association, and I thought I'd take a moment to talk to you about reclassification of firearms. Well, what's reclassification? Reclassification occurs when a firearm's legal status is changed, normally to put additional limits on its ownership and use, and very rarely to remove limits and prohibition on a particular firearm. There are four basic statuses for firearms, which may involve additional statutory divisions. The first one is non-firearm. This category includes working flintlock rifles, muskets, uh, some shotguns, and miniature cannon, as well as antique firearms manufactured prior to 1890 for which ammunition is not commonly available. No license is required for ownership and nor for the purchase of powder to shoot muzzle-loading or inline black powder firearms, although some places do require that. Secondly, there are non-restricted firearms. This category includes most commonly available rifles and shotguns, as well as percussion muzzle-loading rifles, muskets, and shotguns. Typically, modern actions for these firearms may include bolt, lever, hinge, or brake action, pump, or semi-automatic. Number three, the restricted firearm category. This particular category includes handguns, which are not otherwise prohibited due to barrel length or caliber. It also includes some rifles or shotguns, which have been included in this category by legislation or order in council. Restricted firearms may only be taken to shooting clubs, carried for protection, or otherwise transported by virtue of federally issued permits called Authorization to Transport, or ATT, or by Authorizations to Carry, or ATC. Then the fourth category is prohibited firearm. The prohibited class includes a wide range of firearms prescribed by ordering council to be prohibited. Some firearms have been prohibited and required to be surrendered and others prohibited with grandfathering, which allows current owners to keep them. Grandfathered firearms have included full and converted automatic weapons. Uh, some firearms with military history or appearance and This is regardless of caliber or action type. Even some bolt action rifles are listed in this category, There as well, there are some firearms of large caliber, short-barreled handguns, and handguns of either 25 or 32 caliber. The handgun categories include approximately half of the revolvers and pistols owned in Canada. There are specific provisions listed in Section 12 of the Firearms Act that limit the circumstances of who may possess specific classes of prohibited firearms, and only prohibited handguns may be taken to the range, whereas formerly all firearms could be taken to shooting clubs for demonstration and practice. In recent years... Increased restrictions have meant that most of these firearms are not able to be uh, used lo- legally at the range and must stay at home locked up. Recent legislation has added to this list a, a great deal with the order in council of May 1st, 2020, and uh, Bill C 71. In effect, the prohibited class takes away the ability of the owner to use the firearm, to sell it, or otherwise legally transfer their property to anyone but someone in that class, which is a d- decreasing number of people. No new people are entitled to join the prohibited class except for those under Firearms Act Section 12, uh, bracket 7, which applies only to the next-of-kin persons who owned one or more of these handguns manufactured prior to 1946. So if you owned a pre-1946 prohibited handgun, you can transfer it to one of your designated relatives. Now, transfer and ownership of some classes, such as Section 12-6 handguns, has proven problematic, and many owners have had these firearms confiscated due to legislative loopholes or improper paperwork. The obvious intent of the prohibited category is to eliminate lawful ownership of these firearms. When the government changes the classification of a firearm from a less regulated status to a more regulated status, it causes difficulties for the owner. First, the value of the firearm decreases as it cannot be sold to anyone but those in the grandfathering category or a museum. Second, their ability to enjoy their property is severely curtailed, as the firearm may no longer be taken to the range to be fired, may not be used for hunting, can't be used for self-defense, or other perfectly lawful, fair, and reasonable purposes, depending on whether it is a handgun or some other type. Third, it causes concern with the firearm owner that their other firearms may be subject to similar increased controls, and thus such action builds resentment both for the law generally and for the political party in power which took such action. Uh, Next, I want to talk about why converting firearms to fully automatic is a misleading test to choose to prohibit a firearm. Okay, so often police or other groups who favor increased controls upon firearms will argue that a factor to consider is whether or not a particular firearm is easily converted to full auto, a capability which means that cartridges or shot shells may be fired continuously with a constant pressure of the trigger. Well, this is a misleading test for at least three reasons. First, almost all firearms capable of holding more than one round of ammunition could be converted to this status by someone with adequate training, knowledge, and tools, or simply an inventive mind. Examples of this fact include the Lee-Enfield bolt-action rifles converted to fully automatic uh, in late World War I, the Howell automatic rifle, for example, and those made in World War II to address a shortage of Bren guns, which uh, it would include the Charlton automatic rifle. Another well-known example is John Moses's Browning uh, conversion of an 1873 lever-action rifle into full auto. That's a tricky proposition, but it didn't take him long. In addition, Remington Arms converted a Model 1100 shotgun to full automatic, and if easily converted to full auto is somehow a significant test, then an argument could be made that most firearms in Canada are in that circumstance. Does the government really want to ban firearms because of what they could be, rather than what they are? Second, if a full auto capability is a legal concern, then the status of a firearm as it is should be the issue, not what it might be if tampered with. The act of tampering should thus be the issue, not the potential for tampering. And in comparison, one does not receive a speeding ticket for owning a vehicle capable of exceeding the speed limit, but merely for operating that vehicle in excess of the posted speeds. That's an activity which is statistically far more dangerous than any activity involving firearms. Third, using fully automatic firearms correctly and accurately requires training and practice. It is not a skill likely to be indulged in by criminal elements which may choose to use firearms of whatever type for acts of violence. Notwithstanding these points, there is no evidence that widespread conversion of firearms to full automatic is a problem in Canada. I hope that information has been helpful to you. I'm Sheldon Clare, President of Canada's National Firearms Association, and I hope you'll take out a membership at nfa.ca today. Thank you very much.